Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yo, welcome to What's the Hype Podcast. This is your boy, Jay Wade. And I'm Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. And this is What's the Hype. What's the Hype? It's helping young people excel. And it's also cutting through all of the hype, the glitz, the glamour that surrounds the sports industry and give tangible insight from our experience and our guests to help you get a better understanding of the business and all that comes with the sports industry. All my life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life, look. All my life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice. This episode is brought to you by Impress Tax Services, a proud Jumpin' Jack tax partner, one of the fastest growing tax companies in the country. They can maximize your refund, offer you audit protection, provide virtual and mobile services. No more waiting in an office or chasing your tax professional down. Their goal is to get you a bigger refund without paying the excessive fees. They're on a mission to educate and provide their communities with financial literacy and to help build generational wealth. For more information and to book your free consultation, head over to www.impresstaxservices.com. That's www.impresstaxservices.com. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. We are honored and excited to have a special, a special guest on the podcast this evening. And we'll go ahead with no further ado. Welcome Chunky Clements to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Chunky. I appreciate you for having me, Jeff. Uh, awesome, man. We usually just start the podcast off with just letting the listeners know where you're from and uh, a little bit about uh, what it was like growing up there. Okay, um, I'm from not so small city, uh, Dayton, Ohio, man. Uh, born and raised in the city. Um, growing up there, it was kind of rough. It was okay, you know, just a regular inner city experience, man. Not enough teachers, too many kids, you know, just trying to make it, everybody trying to find a way out. Because, you know, want to start off better want to finish out better than when we started off. So, you know, it was just that whole time ride, man. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of crime, a lot of violence and all that stuff today and right now, man. So I try to bring awareness to that to let people know that we need to stop that. We need help there to stop that with the drug epidemic and everything that's going on in my city. So, uh, you know, it was it was rough, but it was good, though. It molded me into the man I am today. So I appreciate it every second of it. Um, let's talk about... Uh... You know, family structure, kind of just, you know, growing up, single mom. I mean, tell us a little bit about family structure. Okay. Um, so for me, it was kind of different. Uh, I lived with my father instead of my mother. Um, two parents, you know, two separate households. My mother ran her household as well as she could, you know, being a single mother working as hard as she could. And um, when I was about three years old, I moved over to live with my father because, you know, just take some of the burden off of my mother and uh, just, just everything like that. Yeah, you know, a little more stable environment to stay with him and his wife majority uh of my uh of my upbringing until probably my senior year of high school when i went to stay with my mom for various other reasons but uh yeah for the most part it, it was it was okay my dad was uh pretty 
pretty strict, but at the same time, very lenient, man. Crazy. Incredibly for, for what he had because he didn't have a father growing up, so I don't even know where he learned how to how to be such a great father, but he did. He, he did a great job after it, man. So uh, it, it was a little crazy, but we figured it out, you know. It's, it's hard as a kid growing up in two separate households and two separate rules and trying to figure out where you fit in between everything with that whole, you know, parents and structure that you don't understand as a kid. So mm-hmm. you try to find your best way to figure it out and make sure everything's okay. Gotcha. Makes a whole lot of sense. And so I would assume in terms of your introduction to sports, um, that happened, uh, you know, by your father or by living with your father was, uh, Tell us a little bit about your first introduction to sport and what probably was the first sport um, you got involved with. Okay, um, well, for me, I, I, I'm talking football fan. So, you know, Ohio, you know, we won the best football states, you know. we Everybody know that. But, uh, you know, my football, man, I talk football family. My brother's uncles, my dad played a little bit when he was in high school. Uh, and all my cousins, they all played. You know, I had a cousin that played for Michigan. I had cousins that played in a few places. So, uh when I was about five years old, I started playing, but I was introduced to the game, man, since birth, really, you know, because mm-hmm. that's just how it is when you're in Ohio. Especially if you're a football family, most football family in Ohio, everyone played football, you know, so I wasn't the only one. I was just the one of the many that made it. You know, the one of one of many that made it, but I was never, I was the first one far from it. But, uh, so, man, since birth, and, uh, I got into football first. No, basketball. Tiny top basketball. I got a picture from that actually. Tiny top basketball uh, at the YMCA was my very first sport I ever played. So, and starting with basketball, mm-hmm. was was there initial love or draw to that to that sport, or was it just kind of? the introduction that eventually led to football. You just talked a lot about, you know, being from a football family. So was it just a matter of time that you were saying like, okay, when am I going to start playing football? Or did you kind of take it, take it on as, okay, I, I like this and, and kind of, you know, dive into it from that aspect. Um, so yeah, for me, for like, uh, basketball was my first love, believe it or not. Um, mm-hmm. Come from a football family, but I, it was just the first sport I was introduced to. So you, as a kid, when you're introduced to that camaraderie, you got friends and all of those things. You know how that is. You got friends and everything. You see you on the basketball court, so you associate that all with your sport. Mm-hmm. So basketball ended up becoming my first love. I, I didn't get into football until I was five years old, and I went straight into padded football. I never did flag or anything like that. So uh, crazy story about my when I first got into Cadet football, man, when I first got into football, I quit. Like, it got cold outside. It was probably right before November. Right before November started, it was cold outside. It was my first, like, cold, cold practice. I was out there in all type of thermal. I got, it was a five, six, and seven-year-old team. I got hit crazy by one of the seven-year-olds. What I thought was crazy at that time by a seven-year-old. And my dad picked me up and asked me if I want to go home. I probably missed, I missed what, the last two, three games of that season. I never thought I was going to play football again as a kid. My dad tells that story all the time. And it's crazy to think that I was quitting football for it to be, well, it was my life at another point in time. You know what I mean? Right. So <clears throat> you decided that you, you know, you didn't want to play no more that season. So how, so let, so, so take us down the journey of your, your involvement still in sports. Did you just go back into and playing basketball? And then when did you uh, find your way back into football? Um, so the very next season I actually played, the very next season, um, 
it was just, I think when I went back into basketball, all my friends that were on the football team with me came along. So just having that kind of money, you know, I was going to be able to see them again in the summer because that's about 10 when you're a kid. If you're not playing on your blocks, I could go two or three blocks in each direction, but that was it. So if I'm not playing on these blocks, the only way I can go is the football practice where all my friends are that live all across the town and all across the city. These are the only time I see them or some of them went to school with me. So the main thing I did, I went and I played football just because all my friends were there. I got to see them. I got to spend time with them. We got to grow and, you know, build that chemistry together as, as young men, as little boys, you know, just growing up. So when you got, when you find that crowd of people that you're familiar with, it just makes it so much easier, especially when you're in those type of environments, you know? Exactly, and, and being from Florida, it's, a, it's the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. Arguably, um, the best football state in um, oh, in the man. country. But in terms of you know uh, being in the community of individuals, your friends, and it just becomes a way of life. It's a process. You know, hey, football season is about to start. We we gonna move and transition into that, and you know, and that just continuation of you know the relationship exactly. and and, and, and kind of how we navigate through. So. Talk about growing up, uh, you were playing, what was the position that you played growing up and then maybe who did you look up to um, growing up early on, whether it be somebody locally from Dayton or, you know, on a national scale that you kind of started to try to, you know, maybe pattern your game after? Um, so for me, man, uh, when I first started playing, I was a huge fan of Richie Williams, but they didn't let me play running back. So my very first position <laughs> of football <laughs> my very first position in football was offensive line. So we had a thing in football was when you came, since a lot of kids never played or anything like that, the way to toughen kids up is they put them on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Got used to hitting, got used to constant contact. So once you did that, you can move to other positions. So my very first position was offensive line, and that's what I did. Um, didn't really like it. Then I want to say next year I moved to running back, played running back, for a few years. Then as I got bigger, went to fullback, went to tight end. Didn't really concentrate on really defense until probably I got to high school, honestly. I was uh, I always thought of myself as a running back slash tight end, more or less than a defensive tackle, defensive end. So that was a change for me as well because when I was young, I, I always put my identity with the ball in my hand. So when I changed to going to get the ball, it was a seemed it was a seamless transition, but I didn't see that until around high school, eighth grade. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So, speaking of high school, let's talk about the the high school that you decided that you attended, and uh, you already mentioned that you became a part of the defense. So, just kind of maybe talk about the high school, maybe some of the history of the high school, if you know people that have came out of that high school, and you know we'll talk a little bit about maybe the success of your of the of that team while you were there. Okay. Um, High school, so my high school that I went to was uh, Dayton Dunbar. Dayton Dunbar was a crazy place to be at. At that time, it's right down the street. Great place, great people, but it's right down the street from one of like, the biggest ghettos in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So uh, being at that school, we had a lot of people come through there from, uh, from a few people that uh, people know. is uh, Daquan Cook. He came from there. Uh, Norris Cole played for he, he He came from there, you know. Uh, and that's really it off the top of my head. We had a few others, but not really known names like those people. But, uh, you know, we and I think I was, oh, 
Nashawn Goddard played for the uh, New York Giants and won the Super Bowl with the Giants as well, came from uh, Dunbar. Okay. So those are, oh, and, and one more, I'm missing one. I can't forget him. Uh, Big Daddy Wilkerson uh, was number, number one overall pick, I want to say Cincinnati Bengals. That's right. He also came from uh, Dayton Dunbar. Wow. So, um, so, yeah, man, you know, and crazy thing about Big Daddy, his son played, his nephew played on my Pee Wee team, so it was like, we all like got to meet him and everything like that. But uh, yeah, so in high school, the team I played in high school, we we were okay my freshman year. My sophomore year of high school, we ended up going to the playoffs, lost in the first round. That was the best that team had did since five to six, so about 10 years before prior to me getting there. So us making the playoffs was big for us, but then my junior year, we went back. To the middle of the pack, barely missed the playoffs. We missed one game and missed the playoffs uh, out of that out of that whole picture. So we were fairly good. I started the game my name after my sophomore year. Just had an incredible sophomore year, had an incredible junior year, and you know, the offers start pouring in. But the whole time I was in high school, I played basketball. My freshman year of basketball, we won state. Second year, we lost a game before we went to state. And my junior year, we went 28-0. No, that was my last year playing basketball. So, as a, you know, Dunbar, when you go to Dunbar, man, when you meet those people in Dayton that went to that school, man, they're prideful people, man. Everybody who goes to that school, they bleed orange, they bleed uh, blue and white is what they say. And, man, it's just, it's a proud culture when you go there. So, a lot of teams, you, when you go there, it's hard, like, you got to live up to the standard. Mm-hmm. So, we have a standard when you go there, especially on the basketball side of things, to a basketball school. I think we got three state championships in basketball. Four, no, we have four state championships in basketball. So when you go there, you have to be tuned in. You have to be playing that sport. You, it's a standard that we live up to and that you have to live up to. My senior year, before unforeseen reasons, I transferred to Charlotte Madison. That's the school I ended up graduating from. Charlotte Madison was more of a football school and it more fitted the needs that, I, needs that I had because at Dunbar was a great school, but the academics wasn't had a great standard as I needed. Mm-hmm. So me going to travel was the best move for me and the move for my football career and everything of that nature. So uh, we ended up, so on the football side, I did, because after I transferred from Charlotte, I tore my ACL at the Nike opening camp going into my senior year. So missed majority of my senior year, came back, I want to say week eight of my senior year, played the rest of the season. We lost in the end of the state championship. Wow. To, uh, to the Sean Kaiser, actually. Okay. You know, to the Sean Kaiser in the uh, state championship. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it was it was a whole ordeal, but it was, it was a journey, man. And it was just like, from when I started to where I ended just in that journey, from just my body to just my mind, my my play, my play in general, man, it was just crazy to see that evolution. And uh, just to see all the people who pour into you while you go through that process, man. It's a lot of people who help you get to where I am. It's a lot of things that people helped me with in a lot of situations that people guided me through that without those people, not only my family, the teachers and, and coaches, mentors, whoever, without those people, I wouldn't be who I am today. So I'm always thankful for that through that journey that, where they helped me at. And my father was the most instrumental in that entire piece. My father is my best friend. So through teaching me, he taught me football, starting off in peewee from YouTube. And we just went from there. Like he was looking up drills on YouTube went from football in there, man, just took off. So all those people helped me along the way, and I'm grateful for all of those people. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, and, and it's so true and it's so vital because 
you know, without a, a community of individuals, man, it's, it's hard for, you know, said individual to make it, um, you know, or be the best that they can be. So um, definitely want to uh, um, shout out all those that supported you throughout the process. Um, during this time, when did you realize, because you was playing basketball and football, so you made the transition to go yeah. to transfer to a more of a football school. When did you realize that football was probably uh, your best opportunity to make it out? Um, so when I got to high school, my freshman year, you know, I played running back. I played running back my freshman year of high school. So, you know, I thought I was, I was unsure. Then when I made the transition to D-line into my, because at that point, so I played running back. I played, I was more of a pullback. Got a few carries, but not as many as I would like. So at the end of the season, I was okay. It was actually crazy now that I think about it because, I was being, I almost, I was being spiteful to the coach. So I'm like, okay, you don't want to play no offense, I'm going to go play defensive end. And I very tabbed that whole practice. Then the next year, they moved me to defensive end my sophomore year. Then I just began to come to my own in sophomore year. Then me and my dad, I had a conversation. He like, I just put two kids through school. which my step, my stepbrother, Sean, and my stepsister, Sharon. He's like, we ain't got the money. You got to have to figure it out. So he told me that going into my sophomore year, I got my offer beginning of my sophomore year from Toledo, and we was rolling ever since. So that's when, when I got my first offer and it became real that I wasn't paying for school. That's when I put all my eggs in that basket, and that's when I said, okay, this is going to be what gets me out of here. Because I'm not 6'9", six, 6'10", six, I'm playing center, I can't really dribble. So if I don't, basketball is not going to be the route. So this is going to be my route, and that's when I made that decision. So you made it sounded like to me that you made a business decision at that point. Oh, no, 110%. Yeah, I'm like, man, I ain't Shaquille O'Neal, so I got to find something to do. So I'm glad you talked about Toledo being your first offer. Let's talk about the recruiting process for you. So you talked about being injured your senior year. So let's talk about the re recruiting process at its peak. So, you know, the teams that you're talking to, uh, maybe some of, the ones, some of the ones that stood out the most, and then talk, we're going to journey through uh, coming back from your injury and to ultimately deciding on where you would play your college football. Right, so, uh, okay, let's start with the injury. So the injury happened going into my senior year. And I had a few offers. I want to say at that time I had Toledo, Ohio University, I had Louisville, and I had, I don't, I forget the fourth school, but I had four offers going into that time. Um, and the process, you know, some of the bigger schools that we're talking to, my top was uh, I had an Arizona offer, I had a West Virginia offer, Tennessee offered me, NC State, Pittsburgh and six was Illinois. Um, and you know, just that process is crazy. I was going to these schools, schools, meeting these people. I think I, I think I got no, I got Kentucky offer as well. But you know, just going to these places, meeting these schools, man, it's just like when I got this Tennessee office, I went up to Tennessee. I did well in the uh, defensive line camp. Um, this is my junior year, going into my senior year. So that started a whole tour. So I did well at the camp. They take me and my friend Mike McCray, who was actually a linebacker from Michigan not too long ago. They take us up to a room. We send the COVID coaches off because they have their uh, crystal ball sitting right there. You know, cause mm -hmm. you know, when you're a kid, they want to put all the good stuff in front of you. Right. So we sit in the office and we sit down. He said, man, I want to offer you to a four-round scholarship to Tennessee. Uh, my friend Mike, he got a scholarship for baseball and, and football when they offered me football. So, man, I was just ecstatic. I never thought that Tennessee would be looking at me because, you know, Tennessee has that crazy tradition, that crazy fan base, you know, Tennessee mm -hmm. volunteers, that, that burnt orange means something in Tennessee. So 
you know, just having those type of people offer you then, the Illinois offer, man. When I originally got it, I took it for granted, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I had it, and it was fine, but I didn't think that's where I would end up. I actually thought they recruited me hard. They worked with me through the process. But a few days before signing there, I almost went to uh, Michigan State. Like, almost flipped like that that day. Flipped to Michigan State. And, uh, you know, I just I just didn't appreciate Like, when you were a kid and you see all these offers and people talking to you, you want to do the hat tricks and all that, you're not appreciating what this really means to you and your family. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, like, right now, I just finished my degree at the University of Illinois right now. But I set that up coming out of high school, you know what I mean? So kids don't always appreciate that. Your family is a family school. You don't have any debt and all of these things that go into you getting recruited. So the recruiting process, for me, was just all planned and how big the stadium was, how many people would come see me, how nice is the weight room, where I live, you know, the little things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things, but what mattered to my parents was schooling. So we always looked at what was the best school, who had the best, you know, programs, what did I want to do, X, Y, Z. So the recruiting process for me, man, was uh, kind of like a, a blur in, in a sense because it happened so fast. And it's like you're the pretty girl at the, at the, at the, at the club that everyone wants to talk to, you know what I mean? Exactly. That's the best analogy I could come up with. Like, everyone see you, they want to talk to you, they want to get a piece of you, everybody wants to do something for you or try to help you or you get mentors you've never seen and the all of a sudden want to be a mentor, coaches that never taught you anything, supposedly taught you your whole game. Like, there's just so many different pieces that go into that recruiting process. And, man, it's enjoyable just because, uh, you know, we never, especially I feel like kids come from where we come from, we never get a chance to feel like we mean more than, we, we mean something sometimes. Sometimes it's hard for kids to, like, feel like, okay, I'm going through all this, but what do people see me as? How do people view me? Who am I? You know what I mean? So when people are courting you like that, it just makes you give you a little more self-esteem that makes you feel better, I believe. And it's, it's, that is true. It's especially, like you said, those kids that are not um, experienced in that or haven't seen that side of it. But I think you said some very important things that, you know, it, it, it's, it happens so much that, you know, kids kind of get caught up into the, the, the aesthetics of whatever it is that, that, or whatever schools are recruiting them and the crowd, the fan base and, you know, the, what the uniforms look like and, you know, what nice dorms they'll be standing to staying in. And, and, and they're not really uh, valuing uh, whether it be the education or from a scheme, a systematic standpoint of like what would be the best fit for them um, and where they, would, they could be most successful. So a lot of times kids are making the wrong decisions just based off of, you know, emotions or you know uh, or how much a coach paid attention to him because I think it's very important that a kid either have a relationship with somebody that's gone through the process or they know somebody um uh that that can give them the real insight because we'll talk about being recruited but once the the minute you sign and then you show up on campus in most cases you're not getting the same attention no more you know everything's kind of changed so you know, so so, and it's a shock, and it's an adjustment for people. So you said, I, I, you mentioned that you almost flipped to Michigan State. I, can you tell me a little bit about that? What 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 um, went into that decision, or what made it so close that you end up almost going there, opposed to Illinois? So uh, Michigan State was so relevant to me because uh, my cousin Roy Roundtree, I played for Michigan, 
um, my one of my closest friends, Mike McCray, had just committed to Michigan, and Michigan State was their rival. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was thinking, man, I would love to go to Michigan and go beat up on. I love to go to Michigan State and go beat up on Michigan. And so when I was at Dunbar my sophomore year, I was talking to a coach named Harlan Barnett. Barnett was the defensive backs coach in Michigan State at the time. I think he may be the D coordinator. But I was talking to him. He recruited another player from my school named Roger Williamson, who went to play at Michigan State. So I think that's why I was so relevant. I knew RJ went there, and I'm like, and I, in a way, looked up to RJ just because who he was, and he was at Dunbar before me. You know, you just looked up to the, the older guys who do it. You know? So he was that guy for me, and uh, me. Looking up to him in some ways made it like, man, I would love to go play with him again in Michigan State. And it's just a comfortability factor when you actually know people that's there, you know? Absolutely. And I think, and I think that's the biggest piece to it. You actually know someone that's there, you can go talk, and uh, it makes that transition period a little better because, man, when I tried, when I actually finally got on campus to Illinois, it was a culture shock. So just having that, somebody who's been there, somebody who can walk you through what you're about to go through, somebody who's seen it, and another reason... Another point I think you brought up that was good, like people don't see, especially kids, they see, okay, I'm going to big name school, whatever that is, from Alabama to Ohio State on down the list. But they like they don't they don't look at the roster, they don't see mm-hmm. who's in front of them, mm-hmm. what year they are, they don't look at the scheme, they just like, okay, I can go here and play in this. Well a lot of times where I was blessed that I had three to four of my coaches on the Charlotte staff all played in the NFL. I just had a cousin who was currently like the year I went to college, he had just left to uh, try out for the NFL in Roy Roundtree. And I had a slew, my principal, he played for Ohio State, and I had a slew of other people who played college ball around me in the area. So they told me go where you can play, not where, don't go to a name, go where you can play. Mm-hmm. So at this point, because not like it was in the, in the, in what, the 50s or the 60s where you only seen the top tier schools because that's all they could afford to put on TV. Now everyone has has as uh, network deals and everything like that for the matching on was it Tuesday nights I want to say or mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, everyone has those deals now, so now you can be seen just about anywhere, and we see that in the draft today. So knowing that, I was like, now I can go to Illinois. Illinois got a senior, a senior defensive end. I can learn from him and go play defensive end, start defensive end my sophomore year. And, and that's what I did, you know. So I just, you know, I had to take a process and and go with that process and pick the best route for me. You said something else that was important. Once you get on campus, they don't care who you were before you got on campus. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest misconception with most kids. Unless you like a Jadavion Clowney or somebody of that nature, they can care who you was, what you did, and how you did it. You know what I mean? There's only a few guys they get that treatment, those, and that, that's rare. That's a rarity, within, especially within a sport like football where you play as a freshman. I was 18 playing against 22-year-olds, sometimes 23-year-olds is dependent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, it's so, different. Absolutely. So, you talked about it being a culture shock, and mm-hmm. what, but what would you say was the biggest adjustment coming from high school to stepping on campus or, you know, starting uh, camp um, as a freshman? Um. So for me, I was, for me, it was different. I, it wasn't, it was a business at a point, but at the same time, I was well-traveled because of AAU, so I went to different cities and played, so that wasn't the hard part for me. But the culture shock was actually, 
the campus and the student body and the uh, the, the snow. Like, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. On my part, in the part of the city that I stayed on the west side of Dayton, it's almost entirely black. Mm-hmm. You know, and you go to the east side, you go to the suburbs, and once in a while you see, you know, white people and, uh, and other people. But when I got to Illinois, I had never been immersed in a culture that wasn't black culture as in-depth and as, as fast as I was. So, you you know, it wasn't like, oh, I slowly slipped into seeing, like, the culture differences. It was like I was just thrown into a pool. And once I realized it, I'm like, okay, now I got to swim. It's like, okay, this is totally different than how I grew up. So that was the culture side because things are so much different. How I talked in, in some areas, people didn't, didn't like that I said thinner. Or just little things like that, that to me, were everyday things, but to other people, they laughed at or frowned upon, or they like, oh, you can't be serious. You know, it was a joke to them. Right. So just things of that nature, and just like just school and trying to like, in high school, you know, you get you get through the work. It's, it's pretty easy, but when you go to college, you have a real schedule. You have a real class curriculum. You have real things you have to get done. So just trying that and trying to wrap my head around a new playbook, coaches who are now these coaches are the closest thing to your father figure that you can get. You know what I mean? So just having all these things go on, for me, it, it was it was just, it was very different. So it, it was just a shock because I'm like, man, I've always been used to my dad being right here. You know, my dad was a instrumental part of my life and still is today, but he was always right next to me. So it made me grow up a little bit sooner than I thought I would have had to. And I think that was the biggest shock to me figuring out how to move, having to grow up, and figuring out the different cultures, just not even like, just not even black culture or white culture, but just different cultures. From We had Latina, the Latina Hispanic culture. You have a, uh, a more of an Asian, you know, Japanese, Chinese culture. So, you know, that's all different cultures that I've never been around. In my high school at Dunbar, I probably had two two white students and uh, at Trotwood, we probably had 15, you know what I mean? Right. Out of thousands and hundreds of kids. So when I had to get used, now I was a minority within the classroom. When I was used to always been a majority, of it, the mm-hmm. majority of different states. Right. I know. I think that's so, that's so valuable because that's a part of it that going through the recruitment process that kids don't really account for as well. Like how would you adjust to this environment? So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're not really, you know, if, whether you're going on a visit or whether you're going to a camp, you don't really, you're not really included or you don't really experience the s- student life aspect of it as an athlete, as, as you would once you show up on campus. So I, you, you're like the third guy uh, on my podcast to speak about the culture shock and so how vastly different it was from where they came from. So I think it's very um, valuable uh, that you mentioned that is so that that could be a thought process when, you know, someone else that may listen to this um, take into consideration when they're considering that part of it. So, um, so, you know, that's very important. I think also, also the, uh, the, the, the ability to adjust is very valuable because some guys never have that ability and they find themselves back home because it's just, it was just too hard for them to, to adjust. 100%. Right. To that, 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 that change because they, all they know is all they know. Right. You don't really know much else outside of your community. You think your world is the community in which you grow up. So um, some guys just can't make that adjustment. Yeah. Um, it was one of my close friends, man. We came in together, man. He, uh, 
was stressed out so much, couldn't adjust, you know, just couldn't wrap his mind around it. He was actually from Florida, one of my close friends still to this day, but he chose weed as his coping mechanism. And, you know, mm-hmm. college football and marijuana don't mix. Right. So he chose weed as his coping mechanism. And it was a few cats that did that, enjoy them being from Florida, because I feel like it's definitely different when you come from, a, like, a place like Florida, South Florida, or, you know, wherever you're from, to come all the way up to Central Illinois, that's a total difference. So I've seen it on a drastic scale with them, and it's just like, they didn't know how to adjust. I was just blessed that I had people in my family and everything that I was just raised. Like, mm-hmm. I don't code switch, you know, because people talk about code switching all the time. I don't code switch, I stay the same wherever I am. I just, I just carry myself a certain way, so when it came time for me to adjust, it wasn't a huge adjustment that I needed to make. You know what I'm saying? But looking at that, in, in terms of code switch, switching, obviously, you know, that that's something that's kind of frown, frowned upon from people from an environment that, if you look back and really think about it, <clears throat> how successful are they? Or, you know, like, in a sense of just saying, like, man, I, you know, I used to be so um, mindful of what the people were saying from where I was from, but they they hadn't made it right. nowhere. So it's not about yeah. necessarily cold switching, like you said, and because I'm not gonna go somewhere and pretend to be white or pretend to be somebody else. But what I am gonna do is see how I can uh, survive in this environment and navigate the environment, right? And w- without you know, right. you know, making myself or my my community look a certain kind of way. So. You know, th- that is something I, I want people to understand that it's OK. It's OK to say, OK, man, look, I can't talk like I talk when I was at home. But that doesn't mean that doesn't make me a sellout or somebody that that, that is turning their back on their community. But what I'm trying to do is say, OK, how can I expand my exposure and, 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 and you know, and expand my my education and, you know, in general. So with that comes an opportunity to be able to. Uh, adjust so by no means you know i want that to be looked at as a negative so but with that being said and the adjustment you having to make at what point did you realize like college sports were really a business um so this man when i first got to campus i had a coach man coach him a great guy man Jim coach i like literally when i walked through the door that was my message that was his message to me like as soon as i walked through the door signing day Wade in, went up there for a little spring game. I'd already signed. Like, yeah, that shit's over now. Now it's time to, to get the business when you get here. So I had already had that aspect as soon as I left. And like I said, being blessed to have those people who have went to college to play college ball, went to the pros in my life before, mm-hmm. I already had this. I already had a business mindset to it, to it when I left school because they, they prepared me for that. So that was a blessing within itself. Absolutely. And, I'm, and again, it is a business. So, um, the, the quick, the, the quicker, the quicker you understand that and realize that the the better off you will be in terms of whatever comes of the situation because you understand it as a business. So let's talk about okay, let's talk about uh, your the success and when things start to transition for you on the field and you know what type of team success you guys had there at Illinois during your time. Um, so for me in Illinois, man. Um, okay, I committed to Illinois because. I didn't touch on this. The same coach that offered me at Toledo got the job at Illinois. Okay. So my first my first offer was from Tim Beckman at the University of Toledo. Then when he had went to Illinois, he brought me along. So I feel like he really wanted me, and I felt like that was special. So uh, when I first got here, I think we went four and ten. 
born champ when I first got here, man. And that was, you know, it was a tough season, but everybody we were playing was freshmen or sophomores. You know, we had a very, very young team. And we, and we were good. And the next year we went six and seven. We lost in our bowl game. So that was the year. After that six and seven year, I started to put some things together, that last bowl game practice. So that's why, like, I feel like people don't get how important bowl games are as a college team. You know what I mean? Because that extra, that extra practice that you get in between that bowl game, the last season, the last game of the season, that bowl game, mm-hmm. was instrumental to my growth. You know what I mean? Instrumental to my play and my confidence to go into the offseason. Going to the offseason uh, has been fine, man. Because there was times, I don't think, with, that, with us not going to that bowl game, that, uh, bowl game I don't think I would have been in the same mindset. There was times during that offseason, man, I remember I was in the stadium and like, it was like 11 o'clock at night, pitch black outside. I'm in the stadium with uh, a beatbox and my phone camera light on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the ladder, like, you know what I mean? But that drive time, because I got to see it at the bowl game, you got, got to taste it, you got to feel it. And we tasted a little success in just my play in general that me getting that extra time to work on me, to work on me helped. So then going into my junior year, man, just all took off. Took off like, like, like crazy stuff. Like, I think my junior year, I went to 13 and a half GFLs, like two or three sacks. Uh, 40, 50 some tackles, you know, something, something in that area. But that's when my career took off. That was the year that like set me apart from everybody else. Was like, even like what I started to notice, I would see people get drafted, man. I had team career TFLs, or you know, what I mean, stuff like that. Right. I had thirteen and a half in one season, man. It was, it was, it was crazy. It was a blessing. God, God put me in so many in the right situations at the right time, and everything I did was in the Big Ten as well. Most of all my plays are in the Big Ten. So once I started getting that confidence within Big Ten play, every, every, everything after that was, was set in stone. So you're speaking on that. So what, what I would assume that during that junior season was when you realized that the NFL was a real opportunity for you? Oh, yeah, no, 110%. That's when when I seen the numbers and I started just comparing numbers. You know, uh, I, when, I, when I watched on tape, he and started seeing the effectiveness I had on the field as far as the disruptiveness I had as a player. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it didn't always lead to me getting to play, but it led to my other teammates getting to play, and I started seeing the team success. So for my junior year, since so my junior year, we went five, and we went five and seven my junior year. Didn't make the bowl game, lost to Northwestern the last game, but we have had so much success as a defensive line, first off, because my whole defensive line was in the NFL, too. So we had a great success of defense line and a great success of defense. We were the top 25 defense that year. So once I started seeing that, and I was putting numbers I had up against one of the best conferences in the country, when one of the best conferences in the country, we had one of the top defenses in the country. We were playing some of the best running backs in the country. And we were putting up, we were putting up these numbers. I'm like, man, this might really be – I really had the chance to establish my goal. You know, I had a few conversations with my coach. After that, he was like, well, when when it got serious to me is when at the end of the season, he was like, well, you're going to try to go to the NFL, you're going to stay. That's when it got serious for me. Wow. So you had that, th- that was a real possibility at that very moment. Yeah, it, but it was late round. So I think they were saying, like, if I would have left, I would have like third. Uh, I would have, we got to the earliest, like, late third. So the earliest, late fourth all the way to undrafted. So, you know how that goes. So, but yeah. I was like, man, I try to come back and up that. 
You know, he, he pulled me and my boy Dewan Smooth. My boy Dewan Smooth had a first round grade. And we sat in there, we talked, and we decided to stay and finish our senior year. And that's when we got uh, Lovey Smith as the coach. That was our third coach in six months. That was the crazy part that doesn't nobody know about. We had three coaches in six months through that whole process. Talk, talk about so we that. Talk, talk oh, about yeah, that. The, the, yeah, talk about three coaches. I mean, I had no clue about that. So talk about the three coaches that you had in six months. Okay, yeah. So, um, got to the University of Illinois in 13. We had Tim Beckman. Tim Beckman, great coach, man, great guy. One of the players who had got kicked off the team or quit the team is that Simons. Simons Janovich. But on Twitter, and just blasted the coach and basically said, like, he didn't treat the players right. He didn't do this. Because Tim Beckman was a great guy, but he was a tough love guy. You know what I mean? Right, right. And you can tell he's a tough love guy, but everything he did, in my eyes, seemed for the betterment of the team for the betterment of his product, but he was definitely tough love, okay. 110%. Great heart, but sometimes he just spoke out of turn, you know? Mm-hmm. But man, amazing guy. So um, that the whole Twitter thing happens probably like two weeks, man. We get all the way up to before the season opener. A week before the first game, they fired our head coach. A week before the first game. Then um, they move. So we, they fire our head coach. They move up. Bill Cupid. Which is the offensive coordinator, the head coach. We have him through the season. We missed the bowl game by literally one game, and they they give Bill Cupid the the full time job. So they're like, yeah, you know, we'll get Cupid the job. Cupid can stay, and here you go. So we like, okay, well, at least we we're we're familiar with this coach. He's been here. These are our people, X Y Z. So then, once that happened, the R A D got fired. Then. Shortly after our AD got fired, we got our new AD who's incredible with job with Josh Whitman. He fires Cubit and he hired then Lovey Smith on though, which is my senior year. But it happened like literally within six months of a calendar year, like no exaggeration. Wow. The season started when in August. The season started in August, we had a new coach by January. Wow. And that I mean so, you know, like but no, I mean that 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 changes. I mean those adjustments or those changes can uh, does weigh drastically on a you know on a team or on a roster on players. You know, so you're talking about man, different systems and everything. Man, I have to say my like because so I learned I learned defense from a man named Tim Banks who was uh, he coached in Cincinnati when they were good back in the day. Then he came to Illinois. Um, we had finally got comfortable in that system after three years. You know what I mean? Like, we've been playing in this system, playing in this system, and after three years, we were comfortable. So we thought, okay, this is our system. This is what we're going to do. Then, man, they fired him. Because more or less, like, on the offensive side, I didn't really know. But when I know he was talking to Banks, I'm like, okay, he, we're, we're good. You know what I mean? Right. We're good. He, he's controlling and everything, so we'll be okay. But then when they fired him and got in lovey, it was it was hard for me because my play suffered because I had to learn an entirely new playbook as a senior. Um, I had to re try to redefine my role, which I've done over three years of my process. So it was different when a coach comes in and they see you from your freshman year to your senior year, and they see the strides you made, the kind of person you became to right. a brand new coach who doesn't know you from Adam. Right. You know. So it's like it's that whole process is different because they're trying to figure out who you are. But they don't know where you came from, so they probably expect you to be one way. I'm like, man, because at this time I wasn't as mature. You know, I'm still a kid at, at, in, in some aspects. So right. I wasn't as mature. I wasn't setting my ways as I am now. So they're like, man, I basically, it was hard for me because I didn't 
more or less fit the standard, I believe, of what they thought I should have been for how good I was on the field, you know? Right. And like, well, I should since he's this good, he should have been this way, but I wasn't. So that caused slight turmoil, but I just had to adjust, and that was another adjustment period because at, when I when Lovey first got here, it was, a, it was a crazy switch, crazy change. But in life, it was the change I needed because I believe once he got there, he taught me how to be an accountable adult. So now everything I do as an adult, I take the consequence and I roll with it. Like, if I do it, I take the consequence. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. So, but I don't think if he gets there, I never go through that time where somebody just holds you accountable 110% all the time. You know what I mean? What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships. So you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I think when when things like that happen in the moment, a lot of times we don't see the benefit of something like that, right? So we, you know, and especially especially if your mindset is simply like, you know, you know, everything is going against me opposed to, you know, understanding that, you know, changes happen for a reason and it must be something in it for you long term. So for 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 a kid, you know, getting comfortable and getting an opportunity to kind of really grow and some new and this change happen, you know, I can see, you know, where that definitely could be a challenge. But again, like I said, I think the thought process is behind it. Or, you know, when you look back in retrospect, you can say, man, you know, that was probably the best thing for me. So going into your senior year, so, okay, you're, you're, you're draftable. You got a draft grade. You're, you and uh, one of your teammates decide to say, okay, let's come back and play our senior year. Let's talk about the that senior year ultimately what you know what was that experience like for you and then you know we'll go into opportunities leading into the nfl um my senior year man was for a turbulence for me man uh you know because once you play three years you i've established myself around campus people know who i am i established myself in the big 10 world people know who i am i was an impact player on every game you know before the game they say okay these are the people to watch i was that guy so when that happened I was expecting the coach in the senior years was doing what I've been, what I've done. But when you get new coaches, they want you doing a new tire set of a new entirely different way to play. You know, I still had the same people the line coach. Coach Smith wanted things done a, bit, a different way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. So, and it's, and it's especially hard when you have a defensive line coach that's been there, but then he's been teaching you one way, but now for this, now the the defensive coordinator wants it this way, you have to switch how he's been teaching. You know what I mean? Right. So then that, that I feel like that creates like un, just like uneasiness to man, you've talked this way and I've dedicated myself to learning it this way and now it's not this way. Right. So then so that so my senior year, man, we went three and nine. And one of the toughest seasons for me because I was just sure we were gonna keep on trending up. So that's what we did, that's what we did in the past. We went four, we went four and uh what was that, four and eight. We went six or seven. We went five and seven. But that was, you know, I just accredited that to the, the last minute change in the coach. Mm-hmm. So, you mean, I, I thought we could continue that trend. You know, we went from one game away from bowl game to not even close. You know what I mean? So, that affected me and just my mental, like, my mental stability was tested a lot during that time because everything wasn't going how I wanted it to. It, it was that time that I felt like 
things were happening to me that were not great, you know what I mean? So going through that whole process and seeing what was going on and, you know, just having to figure out how, like, you, when you're dealing with somebody, even if from, we're looking at college football as a business, when you get a new boss, you have to feel, you have to feel that boss out. Mm-hmm. So it's hard mm-hmm. to do that in your senior year when you concentrate on, okay, I want to play, stay healthy, and get to the NFL. You know what I mean? So you, I'm just trying to play and get through when he's trying to assert his way of play on the team. I'm like, man, this I've been playing. I'm just trying to get out. Like, let me finish the season. Let me do what I do. Let's win some games. Let's go. But he, as a coach, he's thinking more for the future than he is for right now. You know what I mean? Right. And that, so, hap- and that happened more often than not. Well, guys, almost all the time, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah, so with you trying to establish, with him trying to establish who he is and make his imprint on his team, which as of this year has become successful, I was the first, the first regime of that. My senior class was the first regime when he tried to place his imprint. And we had a lot of guys who were setting their ways, and a lot of guys who knew this was how they played football, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was a huge learning curve. First of all, with this being our third coach, we then first of all being our third coach, what we thought would be a very similar system was totally different. Right. Mm-hmm. So in your senior year, man, that's the worst thing that can happen to you because you, especially with the, the dreams and aspirations that, that I have, or that you know, to get to the NFL, the worst thing that you that can happen is someone come in to change and what's been going on because this is how you've been doing it. This is you know, what's successful for you. So that's and that I think that's another layer in it because it's been so successful for you. If, even if it's the right way, it's not your way. So that makes it hard as well. And when you don't control if you play or not, and I feel like it, your mental stability is tested. Uh, so my mental fortitude, stability, and spiritual health was tested that whole time because of the things that were going on that I didn't necessarily know why, and I was in a me type phase instead of just, just pushing through it. Gotcha. So it was just a whole process of me learning and growing as a man. I'm thinking, man, I'm so mature. I've grown up so much. Then I went and hit adversity again at a place where I thought if everything else in the world was adverse, I thought on the field that I could control that I no longer seen. I could, that I finally seen that I didn't have any control. And that was the whole process as well. I mean, that's so powerful because we, as athletes, Think that we can control what we can control, or we're always, always told to con- you. Know, you only can control what you can control. But a part of that you think is the play on the field and how you uh, adjust to what happens to you on the field. But you saying that you know this change happened and there were some things that were just out of your control that ultimately tested you know your mental fortitude. So how did you ultimately come out of that? And uh, you know what was that adjustment like? Um, so, like, during it, it was just like, man, I was not depressed, but, you know, down in the dumps and everything like that. But, man, uh, then it, it came out of it not as great because then I tore my foot. So I went through that whole turkey season with the light at the end of the tunnel type mentality. Like, man, as soon as I, at least after I get through this, I can go pursue my, my time in the NFL. So I had the, uh, the, the East-West Shrine game I was invited to. I had the combine I was invited to. So I'm like, okay, I just stay healthy and get out of this place. I'll be fine, you know? So then when I played against Iowa, when I tore up my foot, it just went even bleaker for me, man. It was just like, like, damn, like, when you have a, okay, well, since you can't control it, 
a sense it's not going the way you want it to. You got to survive. So I feel like when you in football, you just playing to survive. It's never a great way for you to be. When you play any sport, you just want to survive, and you're not excelling anymore. You're just surviving. And granted, I still had about what eight or nine TFLs that season. Like I still had some like so I still did my part, but I was surviving. Mm-hmm. If I was in a, if I was in more of a thrive attitude, I think I would have more than doubled my numbers and surpassed my numbers I did the year before. You know what I mean? But just in being in that mentality slowed me down, and just I was more in my head because I was trying to play so perfect and so like this that it just my end result wasn't where I wanted it to be so that that put a damper on my parade for sure so and and I mean and that's so so um, so valuable saying you know having that focus or that mindset of just saying thrive no matter what the situation is just helps you stay the course opposed to again you know the different mindset a negative mindset that ultimately you know, put you in a situation where you you, you end up getting injured or, or you know whatever you say. I mean, it, that it, I think it for me it all kind of ties together at some point. So, right. you you injure your foot now. That that's this is your senior year. So let's let's talk about the whole the whole draft process with that. So you get injured, you have surgery. What does that put you in terms of the process leading up to the draft and what what was then your projections at, at that point? Okay, I went from a uh, third-round pick, mid-third-round pick at, at, at the height. So if everything went correct, I would be mid-third-round. So that's a good trying game, good uh, combine that I could I could have went third. I laid, you know, to the lowest being seventh-round pick. So that, well, you know, seventh-round, they said seventh-round undrafted. So um, the highest third, it's undrafted. So just knowing that the process, man, was crazy. Because with the foot, a lot of teams, when I tore my foot, a lot of teams shy away from me because it's, it's such a crazy injury that a lot of people don't really return from, especially don't return the same as what they were. You know what I mean? So that whole aspect was crazy and just the whole thing. So my draft stock plummeted. Um, I couldn't even walk. So I was at the Shrine, I was at the shrine Grand. I feel went to the Shrine game, but I was on crush. I couldn't walk, couldn't put any pressure on my foot for like, a month or a month and a half of my combine training, I could put no pressure on my foot. Mm. So even by the time, so after the Shrine game, I did all the interviews, met some people, had some great times there. But even after the Shrine game, man, I, uh, after the Shrine game, I went to the combine, I had on a boot, so I could do nothing at the combine. So I couldn't even run when I went to the combine. I couldn't run at all. I couldn't even jog. I had to walk and I was in a boot. So I lived, I did the bench press at the combine in a boot. So it was just, you know, like, all of that stuff, you know, interviews went well and all those things because uh, I was prepared well, folks, you know, went to uh, the place called Ashley and Tampa, they, they took care of me, so that was great. And um, my mentor, Dr. that's why I met my mentor, Dr. Rogers, he, he, helped, he helps with that type of stuff, being, like, interview prepared and all that stuff, so I was ready for that, but the physical, I, just, I could do nothing. So that put a strain on me mentally because I'm just like, man, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you always know what you can do, but when you're not able to, to show what you can do, it's always worse. So now when it comes like just that whole draft process, my draft process is just kind of in, in, in shambles really because I can't show anybody anything. I can't show them what I can do. I can't push this way. I, you know, there's so many things that I can't do that I can't show that I would have loved to be able to show in that moment, you know? 
and and unfortunately like, the the business is the the business is a, a show me league so if you mm-hmm. you know you have the potential and you have the promise but unable to show it during the time that is you know the most important time to show it it really is i mean it's almost like you know out of sight out of mind so yeah. you know you've worked so hard all these years to kind of put yourself in that position that very moment to not be able to do so i can just imagine again another blow to um your mental stability your mental fortitude so just you know at that moment understanding that this could very well now be a a, a totally different situation what was your approach leading to the draft now so now you're getting ready and, and what was your approach did you understand that hey this thing can very well be um you know, un, not drafted at all, not, you know, no no interest, or was there still some type of interest and some, some type of hope or promise? Um, so for me, it was still a lot of hope and promise just because, uh, like, I was getting calls from a few teams before the process. One team in particular, Minnesota, called me. I talked to the defensive line coach two or three times through my process. And, um, you know, just going there, going through that process, man, just dealing with that, it was, uh, it was tough, man. It was hard, like, you and, and I, I think we touched on this when we talked uh, earlier in the week, man. Like when you put your identity into a sport, and you put your identity into what you do, not who you are, and a lot of things that you rely on in yourself is connected to what you do as far as being a football player. And you can't do that, man. You, like that's that's incredibly hard to deal with, especially as a young kid when you're the first one to deal with this that you know. You know, other people have done it all around the world, but if you, I can't talk to those people. I don't have a connection with those people, so I don't know doing this time and just not having anyone to go through it with you know your people want to be there family want to be there but they still no one really ever understands right what that feels like unless you went through it because there's so many people like oh you know it's not man unless you go through what i went through as far as that that piece alone right there just working my ass off to get to where i needed to be as far as to even be draftable to get to college to get college paid for and to even have that chance to change my family life then for an injury to come and me not being able to to show and perform all this work i put in and that was incredibly tough i i it was it was crazy but you know i, I come from a religious praying family and uh i always try to look at the glass half full rather than half empty man so i just just try to stay as positive as possible man just putting the right people in place man and just being able to talk to people, but man, that, that, man, that was an incredibly tough part of my life for me because football was who I was and I wasn't able to do that, so I, I had to find again. I found myself once in, at my sophomore year of college and slowly detached from football, but once I got all the success, I attached my, myself back to football, then I had to slowly detach again. It was crazy. And like I, like I mentioned before, some people never make that adjustment. And it's just downhill from that moment on until they, you know, they just kind of fade away. So, you know, to understand and to to realize that obstacle and to say, okay, I got to figure it out. I mean, that's just kind of re- a recurring theme in, in, in your whole process, man. Just understanding that you just have to figure it out. So, I mean, I definitely commend you in, in terms of that. And then even the people, like you said, the people that was around you to to help you uh, navigate that and help you to to come out of that. So again, so now you you end up on draft day. Uh, you know, again, draft process going undrafted. You you mm-hmm. you mentioned talking to the coach at Minnesota. 
I'm sure you may have had a couple different options. Talk about why you decided or, you know, how, you know, what was the process for you deciding to, to sign with the Minnesota Vikings? Um, so, man, my draft process is crazy, man. Uh, so I'm sitting on the couch, man. Minnesota called me a few times. A few teams text. Uh, the Titans were very interested. Minnesota was very interested. So I thought it was a chance I would get drafted from Minnesota. Still, after all of this, you know, I had a great uh, interview with them at the combine, all of that. So I'm still like, man, I might get a chance to get drafted, being like highly optimistic. But then um, the draft went by, when I'm drafted, so I'm like, okay, well, what's next? So I had literally five teams call me. So the Raiders called, the Titans called, the Texans called, the Texans. Minnesota called, and it was one other team, like Arizona or something called, one of those things. I, I don't remember having 10%. So they all called me, but then they was like, okay, well, yeah. So basically, okay, like, Chuck, have you, has anybody called? Uh, have you committed to going in the team yet? Are you ready? I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm ready. Uh, just, you know, I'm ready to sign. Just send me the paperwork. Then next thing I know, they would text me back, like, oh, your medical staff didn't, didn't our medical staff didn't clear you. That happened to me five times in a row. Wow. Five times, like literally, people like, man, I'm gonna bring you in right now. Oh man, the medical staff didn't clear you. We gonna have to get back to us later. Type of deal. So, um, after that, man, you know, I just was like, all right, well, we knew this was the option. Let's just keep working. Let's get ready. Then uh, Minnesota was the one of the teams that said, man, as soon as you are ready, come see. So I'm like, okay, that I'm, I'm gonna get ready. I'm gonna come see you. But the process to me, I feel like, was rushed. I should have waited longer before I went to Minnesota because. It was still, I wasn't healthy. I was good enough to, to be on the field, but I wasn't myself in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So me not knowing and being naive to the thing, I should have waited. They already said I would have a chance to work. I should just wait. Wait until I got as healthy as I could be. And then the call, like, okay, well, I'm ready. You know, then if I would have missed my chance, that would have been fine. But I'm like, well, at least at this point, I'm ready. You know what I mean? So I uh, went to Minnesota probably right before training camp started and started that whole process. I couldn't even do, like, a high knee. I couldn't even, like, you know, I couldn't even run on my tiptoes. Like, you know what I mean? On my right foot, I had to go flat with it just to get back up. So I couldn't. My, my, my upper foot was just so weak, and I went to Minnesota just because I was so scared that, man, this might be the only chance that I ever get in my life. Mm-hmm. So having that fear and anxiety in myself, I had to go and I had to take the chance. So I did. Which I, now I know what's the best decision, but it was the decision I made. I you know live by. Right, and I and, and again, you know, having that maturity now at this point to look back, but as like you said, as that at that time, you were thinking, man, this this is the only opportunity I have, and it, and, and and again, mm-hmm. these are not things that are just that were just only your experience. There's guys do it all the time. Even guys that are you know in the NFL and have careers in the NFL are rushed back from injury or feel they have to hurry up and get back because. It could very well be taken away, you know, exactly. if they're out too long. So, like you said, you went there. It obviously didn't work out that as you had hoped. So they ultimately release you. And then what? What was that like? Well, not you being released, but having to go back home. What was that time like? What were you doing at that time um, uh, after Minnesota released you? Okay, so uh, Minnesota released me, man. I'm just like, man, I knew, I knew to myself, I'm like, man, I'm not the best me that I can be. Mm-hmm. So when I got released, I, it was like bittersweet. It was like, okay, you got released. But now it was bittersweet because I got released. I wanted to stay in Minnesota Viking. I, damn, they still want to be in Minnesota Viking. I loved it there. You know what I mean? 
But at the same time, I was like, okay, you got released, but now that you've seen the competition, you know you you know you belong now. So that's what I got from that. It was like one of them, okay, now you know you belong here. So now what do you do? So then after I got released, man, I just went to my trainer. He had been training me since I was what, 15 years old. We was in hell, man, we just started grinding. Grinding, 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 man, doing a lot of strength and doing a lot of things. When Texas called me, I was a totally different person. I was in Texas. Uh, yeah, you was there, like, when I got that call from Texas, man, it was just totally different because I sat down and really took the time and, and got that time. And it was crazy how I got picked up, like I said, because I'm religious, you know, believing God like crazy. So I was sitting on my couch, man, and just wondering, like, man, I don't know if I'm going to do I don't know if I'm going to call, going to call. I'm just sitting, 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 no money coming in, nothing to do. So I'm like, man, what am I? What's going on? And uh, I went to church, talked to the pastor. No, I no, I called the pastor on my phone. He's he my uncle's uh, best friend. I called the pastor on the phone. I'm like, man, pastor, I want to be saved. So we sit there, we sit down. You know, he say, you know, we talk over the phone. He told me say these words, tell God you want to let him in your life, and everything like that. And I do that on a Thursday, right? I no, I do that on a on a Thursday, on the next Tuesday, I get a call from the text. Crazy. Telling me they're flying me out. They're like, they're interested in everything in me. So, I go, no, I go to, so I do that on Thursday. I go to church Sunday. I get the call from the text on Tuesday. So, get saved and all that. You know, invite Christ into my life. It's just all these things are happening. Ever since then, man, it's just been, it was on, it was on the, the uplift from that. So, you know, I took this. It was a lot of emotion that went into that, a lot of different experiences, just knowing I belong. And then getting back in touch with my faith, and what I feel like today is a blessing. So just where I'm at right now, basically, and where I'm at just in my business and business goals, and um, it was just it was just a different way of looking at things. So, so when you 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 talk about leading up to the Texans, and I wanted to, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to just know what was the difference in mindset when you went to Minnesota opposed to this next opportunity uh, going in with the Texans. And I think that, like you said, you were just in a better place because you just didn't stay home on your couch and just wait for a phone call. You got that work in, you got stronger, you got better. So going into that situation, you felt as though this could be, this would be a better uh, representation of what you can do on the field. Right. So I felt like that just because of that, like you said, that I wasn't at home sitting on my, on my butt. Mm-hmm. I was, I was working. I had a goal. And I just knew, like, man, I just knew through that process, man, God going to bless me to get everything Absolutely. that he made. Because my, my, me and my dad had multiple conversations. You know, man, God going to put you in a position to, and get you that close and just take it from you. Right. You know, God doesn't, he's not going to put you in this position. He puts you through all of these things and puts you through all of these things from what I went through in my childhood, what I went through just with sports in general, I went through just in life in general, and get you to the cusp of, of where you think you should be and just take it from you. Now, I took it as a humbling experience, but that's what that was. I feel like it was humble, but the biggest thing I say, man, I worked, I, I was already, I was able to, the only difference was I was able to work hard because I was physically able to work. So it wasn't like I didn't want to before, it's just mm-hmm. I didn't have enough time to prepare. So me, and he gave me just enough time for me to get back explosive, back, back to myself. And um, when I got to Houston, I'm like, okay, now I feel like I can truly represent I still don't think I was all the way there because being out of football for so long, you know, you lose technique and things like right. that. So it took some mm-hmm. time to get that. But just as far as just a pure athletic standpoint, I'm like, man, I'm eighty to, to I'm seventy five to eighty percent of who I am. I get I get here, I get picked up, I get, you know, another season, I can get to hundred percent and I'll be where I need to be. So that was my mentality. 
So again, they signed you to um, they signed you to the practice squad, right? So kind of speak on what it, what is the practice squad and kind of what was your thought process and your approach to to just that opportunity. Um, you know, so they brought me in for the workout, and uh, I think I beat out one or two guys, three guys, a few bets and everything, and they brought me in, they signed me. Uh, and the practice squad is just what it is. You practice, you sit there, you know, you, you go through you go through a full practice with the team, but you're basically a, a reserve. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Somebody goes down, something happens. And sometimes you're not even a reserve, you're just a practice squad guy. Cause some people go down and they bring in another guy over the top of your head, like, so it just depends Absolutely. on the process. So, uh, but I was blessed to be a practice squad guy. So I went in there and my mindset was there. It was like, man, every time I, they put me on this damn scout team, they going to steal. That was my only thing I was saying. I don't, get, I don't care if I do the play right. I don't care if I do this right. And once I put this, when I put these pads on, and I'm, if I'm pass rushing, I'm run block, whatever it is, you're going to steal. You know, because a lot of, you know, a lot of vets and everything, they just, they want you to do it their way, go that way. I'm like, man, I don't, I know what it's like to sit on the couch and be at home and not have a call and not have football. And I know how badly that hunger stowed upon me because I did go through that. So when I got there, I'm just like, now I'm going to do whatever I can to keep it. So that was my mentality going into this. And I can attest to that, seeing that firsthand. And just, one, the humbleness and, and how grateful you were for the opportunity. So these are things that I think are so valuable in terms of guys being preparing themselves for opportunities such as this, even if you don't have to go through what Chunky went through or, you know, experience such highs and such lows. But if you have an attitude for gratitude, if you have the mind, the the the, the mentality of being humble and saying, I'm just going to work hard and I'm going to make sure that every snap or opportunity I get, I'm going to give it my best. I think these those things are valuable assets to an individual having success on the field and off the field and just in life in general. Mm-hmm. So with that approach, mm-hmm. with that approach, you know, it ultimately, w- what did that ultimately lead to in terms of being a practice squad player and then with that, that, that approach of working hard, humble, um, grateful, ultimately what did that lead to? to for you um during that season um man you know so uh it just led to me finally become an active man become the active player on that roster man when when i got there and i talked to like uh coach weaver anthony weaver you know and i talked to these people man he just seen the work i mean you see how hungry i was people respected at the end of the day and they and people took notice so just going through there and like you said, you was there. The offensive line of the Houston Texans hated my guts. They hated going against me. They didn't want to play. They hated when I lined up against them in practice. So just having that mentality and having that work ethic and showing, like, okay, I'm grateful to be here because it was, it was torn away from me. And I know what it's still like to sit on your parents' couch and have nothing. So I'm grateful to be here, but now I'm going to stay here. So what do I have to do to stay here? So I, every time I get out there, I prove why, why I belong. And the coaches ended up seeing it. And it, and it got me on the action roster. So, you know, they got me to them giving me that, that opportunity, and it was beautiful. So talk about that first opportunity. First game, first NFL game. Talk about that opportunity. What did it feel like in, 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 in the overall uh, uh, experience of that first NFL game? Okay, well, uh, I do want to say when I got, uh, when I was acting, 
the first time I didn't play in the NFL game, I went back down to practice while they brought me up again. Then that was the first game when I played against the Steelers, man. And it was just surreal, you know, coming from where I'm from, Dayton, Ohio, Cincinnati, and the Steelers game was a huge game for where I'm from. You know what I mean? Like, that's the that's the game. Like, they play each other. That's when, you know, the high war blocks and all of those types of things come to play. Mm-hmm. That so, that rivalry. So, my first game was against the Steelers, man. It was crazy because uh, Big Ben is from Ohio, man. Big Ben played in Miami, Ohio. Uh, just all of those type of things. And it just... It came, it, everything came to a head um, for me, really. Um, I think the night before when they told me I was angry, I think I, I low-key got emotional, if I'm not mistaken, because, like, it just it just felt like, man, everything that I went through was for a purpose at that point. Like, even if I would have went out there and got no tackles on that, it was for a purpose. You worked to get here, worked your butt off, you did so many things. You're a 1% of the 1% that make it to the league who have done the things that you've done and you finally get here. You know what I mean? So that was my, that was the biggest thing for me. It's like, man, I finally got here and I'm here. I get to play in this game, man. There's so many emotions. I, them. I, I had goosebumps. I had jitters. I think that game, man, I was so excited. I never got tired. I ran hard, hard, as fast as I could. And I just never was tired, man, because it was just like, like it was, I was like a little kid in the candy shop. Like the enthusiasm of being there didn't wear off until the next two, three days. Like you know, and, and my first game, I want to say, it was on Christmas. It was my very first game was on Christmas against the Steelers. Yeah, but that was a prime time game. So I, I got, I was man, the cash show for the Steelers held me. I was a holder away from my first sack being Big Ben. So like that, just like stuff like that, man, was was amazing to me. Like I was a, a, a bad holder away from my first sack being Big Ben. I got to tackle Le'Veon Bell, who I've seen play my entire life, you know what I mean? Because being a fan of Michigan State, being, you know, seeing these people play, so it was like everything that you go through, because people only see the glory and the fame of, okay, well, you was a star high school player. You ain't go through nothing. You was a star senior player. You, know, you ain't going through nothing. You was a star college athlete. You ain't go through nothing, but they don't take the aspects of regular life that you have to live, you know what I mean? So all the things you go through in life that they don't see, that they don't acknowledge, because you are that star athlete through the process, it's like, but when you're in it, you, you will be in a fellow athlete as well. You know everything that happens outside of just your sports. Everybody just puts you in this box and you only play sports like you don't have a life. Right. So everything I went through in life and everything I went through in sports seemed like on that Christmas day, and finally, that was the best present I could ever got in my life. That was that was the best present. No one would ever talk there probably until I have a kid. If it happens on Christmas, I probably will get another, a better Christmas present than that. You know what I mean? If I'm not mistaken, uh, did you start that game? No, I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't. I okay. played a lot that game. Though. Okay, because I, I know that you. I, I know you had a heck of a game. I wasn't sure if you started or not, but I know you had a heck of a game. Like you, you know, I can remember. You know, you coming to the sideline and, and people are cheering and Coach Weaver is giving you love and showing you, and then just talking about you know how well you played. So I mean, again, I I was there and I and I was close close enough to you to understand and to see. Uh, how you know how valuable and how uh, just amazing that process was for you, and 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 how your journey had been leading up to it. So, with that being said, right, so you you get this opportunity, and now you're looking at okay, my my career must be on the up and up, right? And it and, and, and it's, it's, it has to be nothing but up from here. So, you know, let's talk about post your first opportunity to get some um, to play in the NFL. Kind of where where your career went after that moment. Okay, so yeah, then um, so I played that game. Then I played 
Then we play at the Colts. I think we lost at the Colts. But I got my first career sack. So I'm just like, man, it's definitely up from here. Like, you know, because uh, we had, I, I want to say, we had another rookie that year that played eight games and didn't have a sack. So, you know, I was, you know, just mm-hmm. feeling ecstatic off of that alone. There's a few guys on the team that never had a sack. So I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm excited. So I'm like, man, they got to keep, like, you know what I mean? They got to keep. But then it, it came, man, it was a GM change when, well, people don't know we at the bottom of the roster, man. It's a, it's a different type of fight than when you're at the top. So when the GM changed, you, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you don't, you don't bat an eye, you know what I mean? Because you got 40, 50, 60 million or whatever much you got, and you know, if you ain't got it, it's coming. You know what I mean? But when you're at the bottom of the roster, those things really matter. Because those people who make the decisions like different type of guys, guys that they like, guys that they want. So, um, GMs, which happened in, uh, when Rick, when Rick Smith got released, the new GM ended up letting me go. And it was, uh, and I talked to Weed, you know, I talked to everybody, you know, just to see, all right, what did I do something? It was just like, man, it was nothing you did wrong. It's just the number of games really taught you. And it was like, I can't, what I ran through in my career was I was always at a place where they drafted the defense alignment the same year. So it was never like, oh, well, okay, well. You know, just let me get it. Like, no, well, we drafted him, so we're going to keep it. You know what I mean? Type of deal. But, uh, man, I thought it was going to be up, and it just, I got released. Got released, man, a week before I was heading back to Houston. I was at home training. Got got released literally a week before I was about to head back. So, canceled that flight, man, and uh, just had to figure it out from there. So, it was, as you get to that point, and everything comes to a head, and you're like, okay, it's, it's, you know, I didn't expect the temple to, to burst. I thought I, I expected to keep growing, and that's and that's what got me. That's what caught me off guard. It, it burst on me a little bit, but then uh, I still had other opportunities from there. Then I, for now, opportunity uh, went to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh offered me a contract. I turned it down. For why? I thought I can't really give you a clear reason. I don't have one. But I was going through some things, and that's and this is another aspect I want to touch on. I'm glad we having this conversation, man. But like for people coming out and kids coming out, man, get an agent that you can trust and that believes in. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's big because if you have an agent that doesn't believe in you, they will undermine your talent all the time. You know what I mean? Because it's like sometimes the agent will talk to you out of something that you think you're good enough for, but he necessarily doesn't give you that same backup, that same confidence, so you don't give it to yourself. You know what I mean? Right. But that matters when when someone's selling you because the agent, what he what he does is selling you. Again, I, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that, and we'll, you know, we'll, we, we want to make sure that we identify that. But just, again, just like with you being a senior in college and having a new coach, when you are just getting hitting that stride, and a new GM come in, he want to retool uh, a roster so that it kind of reflect what it is that he envisioned for it. So he didn't see that process of you. Um, you know, growing and developing, and just you know, he didn't he didn't sign you, he didn't bring you in. So those are things that, like right. you said, that the that general p- 
people don't understand. They just think that, okay, you just didn't make it or whatever it is. There's so many other factors that go into a guy's success or, or you know, rise in, in the NFL, if you, especially if you're not drafted and so on and so forth. It's really, it's, it's a huge process. It's, a, it's, it's, it's belief from coaches. It's belief in, you know, the GM and the people that bring you in because they, they have – they have an invest. They have a vested interest in your success. So, but if you're not right. their guy, then it really it don't matter. You just a number on the on the roster. You in the bottom of the roster. So, but but I think that in all things, you know, and and, it's, and it says this, you know, in in in, in the Bible that all things work to work together for the good for those who are uh, called according to His purpose. And just you know, just all those things happen for a reason. And I think that these. The reason is uh, it's your story, it's your journey. So you'll be able to uh, impact someone else or, you know, have, you know, impact on someone else's life moving forward. So, you know, you experience those things for a reason, but ultimately, you know, there is a bigger purpose for you. So it's not, you know, it, it may not have just been to be a football player. So now you take that and all the experiences and now you 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 add that to your journey and your process of moving forward. So talk talk a little bit about where you at now, what you're currently doing, and then kind of what's the plan uh, moving forward. Um, you know, so where I'm at now, man, is uh, I started a digital media company called True Business Media, and you know what we do there is uh, we try to bridge the gap between small businesses and people who don't actually know how to market or don't have the resources to market. And we try to bridge that platform for them. You know, we try to take that time and make sure people who need help and people who don't necessarily, you know, because some people that start businesses are older and older, are older than us. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a lot of people my age or your age that start a lot of businesses. Usually when they hit the 40s, 50s range after they work for a while, save up some capital, they get into it. So those 40 to 50 year olds right now don't have the, the, the internet literacy, more or less to successfully sustain the business. And, you know, they just got some people who just don't have the resources to do certain things. So, you know, that's what right now. I just use all that media training and all that, you know, just know-how from doing interviews, from being media trained by professionals that come in every year, you know, when people tell you what to say, what not to say. I use all that and basically brought it into a head and created True Vision Media. That's what we do now. So that's uh, been a big part of my life uh, right now is the marketing, man. And eventually I'm going to get into speaking. But that's just where I'm at. But I had to successfully be able to take myself away from the game, which is hard, man, because this past offseason, I got 10 calls from 10 different NFL teams, man, from Texans to the, 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 the Texans again, to the Patriots, to just whoever. But... I didn't have the love for it. I wanted to finish school, and I just started putting myself ahead of the game because, like I said, as we talked about, when you put your identity into a game that can be taken away from you at any time, like you said, a new GM come in, and you're at the bottom of the roster, he can take that game away from you just because he don't think you're good enough. You could be better on half the players on that team, but if he doesn't see it, one person doesn't see it, or two or three people or however many people that, 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 that process is, if they don't see it, your work, they can take the game away from you. So now I put my time and my my patience in things that I can have more control of. Not because you have no total control over anything, but things that I can have more control of and more stability in. And I commend you on that because, again, even with an athlete who plays five and ten or even fifteen years, your life after football lifespan 
is much greater than that while you're playing on the field. So for you to have the um, the attitude or the boldness to say, you know what, I'm, I want to prepare myself for life after this game, and I'm not going to put myself in this rat race because so many guys falls in that rat race of just saying, I just want to play, and I'm going to sign, and I'm going to go any and everywhere and not really, you know, uh, take not really taking that same commitment to saying, okay, how can I develop my life off the field and put myself in position to – excel after this game is over because it eventually will be over so again i want to commend you on that uh let everybody know where they can find you where they can find your company um uh yeah give us that information um so true vision so to find me i am chuck c-h-u-n k underscore c 11 one one that's my uh, Instagram handle. Uh, uh, Twitter, I'm jclem34, J-C-L-E-M-3-4. And uh, True Vision, you can find us at True Vision, uh, True Vision Media. So T-R-U Vision Media underscore on Instagram. And same thing on Facebook. And uh, our website for True Vision is True Vision. True Vision spelled the same way, but add an S. So True Visions with an S media. Dot com and um and yeah man you know just now I appreciate you having me like, I just appreciate you giving me uh, your platform to you know to have a discussion on man you know uh, a lot of things that we go through that you get to see because the side of the football that you're on a lot of people don't see and a lot of people don't get and uh, being able to successfully disconnect yourself from football is hard for a lot of people to Absolutely. do man because because like we all got that one friend and that one homie who's been chasing football for six years So, man, we, we, we appreciate you for that candid conversation, for those candid insights. And we wish you nothing but the sex, success moving forward. So, um, again, thank you. Thank you for joining me on the podcast, man. And uh, we'll be following closely. And, um, we'll, again, wishing you nothing but success. Man, I truly appreciate you having me, man. Like I said, man, everybody just Pope is a great guy, man. He was a great guy when I was in Houston, man. I always continue, you know, show me love, you know, talk to me when I needed someone to talk to. And, you know, I ain't really know nobody, so, man, I always, you know, I, you know, I always appreciate you, man. So I thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks again, brother. All right, my man. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, love. All my life. Been grinding all my life, Pay the price, want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why, all my life, I've been grinding all my life, look, I'm married to this guy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.